I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Can't help but keep reading. So I'm going to stop there because I can't wait for next week. I'm trying not to overlook this week. So I'm just going to stop or I'll just start there. And that won't be appropriate. We'll stop. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. I'm not a big titler. I'm not real good at titling. I should say I hate titling. I'm not a good titler of things. I'm a poor titler of things. But this one's pretty easy. And so if we put a title and a banner over this talk this morning, it would be Walk Worthy of Our Calling. And that's kind of a no-duh. Doesn't take a bright guy to see that one in the text. But Walk Worthy of Our Calling. Paul begins the beginning of the rest of the book of Ephesians. In this passage, with this little transition word, therefore. Just like out of Romans 12.1, where Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Just like Romans 12.1 transitions between 11 chapters on justification, God's gracious work to rescue sinners From the fall, through the glorious work of Christ, he transitions for the rest of the book of Romans now to what we do with justification. Same thing here. Paul has spent the first three chapters dealing with the glorious work of the mystery of the gospel. And now he's transitioning in Ephesians 4, 1 to 6 with what we now do with this mystery of the gospel. And so since we've been unified in one body through the electing work of the Father, who in love did that work to rescue us from the prince of the power of the air, Paul now has some urgent matters that he has to discuss with the church of Ephesus. Paul's use of the word also here, parakaleo, which is translated as urge, is huge here. When Paul says, I therefore... In light of the mystery of the gospel, in light of this glorious, mysterious work of Christ to unite all things in Him, thereby tearing down the hostile wall of division between Jew and Gentile, slave and free. He's made one body, so we're one. There are no divisions anymore. In light of this mysterious, glorious work, He says, I urge you, I urge you, the work that Paul is doing is vital. And what he is about to undertake. And it's vital for us today. This word urge means to exhort. To call on. To beseech. To speak passionately about. This word is often used and it's translated sometimes as preaching. And so what Paul is doing in light of the mystery of the gospel. He's preaching. He's urging. This urgent matter at hand. And he's urging the church at Ephesus to some very urgent and important business. And I want to say to us, Three Rivers Community Church, by the inerrant, infallible, 
Scriptures, the truth of God, Paul's words are urging us to some urgent matters at hand. In other words, it's urgent because it doesn't need to be shrugged off. It's urgent because it doesn't need to be looked past for other things. It's not to be thought of as a, applying to somebody else and not me. It is urgent for everybody at Ephesus. And therefore it is urgent for every one of us. And so therefore we dare not look past this passage. And miss perhaps the beginning of the end for many congregations. What's this urgent message? What is Paul starting with that the church of Ephesus needs to address, needs to be aware of, that we need to address and be aware of, lest we become irrelevant? Well, what he's going to address in verse 1 to 3 is this, and it's our first point. If you're following along on the blog, you can see that this title's there in bold for you. And it's walk worthy in your calling as the church. This urgent business that Paul has for Ephesus and for us is that we ought to walk Worthy in our calling as the church. The instruction is for the whole church. This instruction isn't to necessarily individuals to shun sin. It's so often, if we, as we looked at some of the passages in Ephesus and sometimes the passages in the New Testament, we miss the overarching community aspect of the text by seeking first to apply it to me as an individual. Now, there's no doubt you could do this with this text, but the primary implication here is not jolly, walk worthy of Jesus. It's Ephesus, Three Rivers Community Church, the church of Jesus Christ, all of you together, walk worthy of your calling. So before you start thinking about you as an individual, the application of this is to all of us, together. Right? There is no such thing as isolation. There's no such thing as individuals apart from the whole. That's, that's to be outside the faith. If you're in Christ, we're one body. There's no division. We're one body. No Jew, no Gentile, no slave, no free. We're one together in Christ. And so this instruction is for the whole church to walk in a manner worthy of our mutual calling. Walking in the Bible is not physical walking. It's rather the manner of life. It is the, the manner of life in which we conduct ourselves together as a fellowship. So for us in the church, the conduct of our lives together is to be worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Well, the question is, what is our calling? What is our calling? Well, you think Paul's answered that already? Yeah. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Crazy stuff. You ready? Together, you ready? This is our calling. This is our calling. Just a little side note here. It is very easy to take the word calling and apply it to things that are not callings. You've heard me say this over and over again. One of the reasons you have nine strong pastors that have been raised up out of the same fellowship is because we understand the text of Scripture to be inspired, so we don't need to add to it. We need to take away from it. It's perfectly sufficient, right? If you're unsure, you need to get sure. Yes, perfectly sufficient. 
Paul's call to pastoral ministry or call, his words, see I even did it, this little Freudian slip because it's just what we say. Paul's words in 1 Timothy 3.1 are, if you desire, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He never says the word calling. Never. The work of pastoral ministry is a desire in the heart. Therefore, if you meet these qualifications, roll. This is why the whole idea of stardom in the Christian world is a fallacy and a lie and satanic. It's because the passage doesn't say the guy who plays the guitar better than anybody. The guy who's smooth in his transitions. The guy who's podcastable. The guy who's videoable. Because he's got a, both sides are good. It doesn't say that if he has a desire. His aspiration is noble. And then it lists character qualifications. This is why the stars fall. Because the character's not in place. But we like stars. We would love it if Denzel were a pastor. Or if Costner were a pastor. He would have the biggest church in America. Because he's a star. But that faithful guy who spent 40 years of his life pastoring 40 people, he's not worthy of my attendance. He doesn't talk good. Because we're starstruck. We're band struck. We take that word calling and we abuse it. And I think we use it to justify sinful behavior often. Or sinful aspirations that are built out of a lack of integrity rather than desire for Christ. Paul uses this word calling to us. All of us. Calling. So you want to know what your calling is? You ready? He's about to tell you. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. What is our calling as a fellowship? And by the way, our calling together is never isolated from one another. If your quote calling isolates you from the fellowship of the saint, it's not from Jesus. We are together, one body. That's what he's been dealing with for three chapters. So what is our calling that we're to walk worthy? If we're to walk worthy in it, should we not know what we're supposed to walk worthy in? Heck yeah. Let's see what it is. Chapter 1. We're to walk worthy in our adoption as sons of God to the praise of His glory. You are to walk, He has called you into Christ as a son or daughter to receive adoption to the praise of His glory. So you know what your purpose is today? Live as a son of Jesus Christ to the praise of His glory. Be a child of God today to the praise of His glory. Chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. What, what's our calling? Chapter 1, verse 17 to 18. To have our eyes enlightened and to know the hope to which we've been called. So today, part of your calling is that the Holy Spirit would continue to open your eyes so that you could see and know the hope of your calling in Christ. Where there's no hope, there's hope because Jesus is full of hope. If you're in Christ, you're a son, you're a daughter. And He is loaded with hope. So may your eyes be enlightened to know the hope of your calling today. 
Man, some of Satan's greatest work is to crush the hope of the believer by having us learn to treasure things other than Christ. And thank you, Joseph, for wrecking us with the gospel this morning. Number three, this is all of chapter two and three, which we've spent like 77 weeks on. We are to be his workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works as one body. Under the headship of King Jesus as one kingdom made up of all nations. His workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works as one body under the headship of King Jesus as one kingdom made up of all nations. Now we spent a lot of time unpacking those three very concentrated. You remember still buy anybody buy concentrated orange juice anymore? You get the frozen little cans of concentrate and you put it in the pitcher and add water, right? Four, four times. Right? And if you, like me, as a kid, you'd get it frozen and then just scoop it out and eat the concentrate, right? And you have, woo, that's tight, that's good stuff. These three statements are concentrated orange juice. We spent a lot of time unpacking them, there are a lot of implications, but that's our call. That's our call. Together, as three of us community church, as the church of Jesus Christ, this is our calling. This calling, though, and I want to make this clear, is distinct from our mission. The mission, this is why I'm just going to uncover, I think, the heart, the sinful heart of man here a little bit. I think the reason we like to use the word calling and apply it to things like pastoral ministry or missions or things like that is because if we can use the word calling, we can justify not doing it. As long as I can attach the word calling to it, I can say, Jesus didn't say that to me. And we can justify our disobedience. But the Bible doesn't do that. It says, this, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The word calling is used here. And it's chapters 1, 2, and 3. So all of us are called to this. Calling is distinct from mission. Because the mission is for everybody in the calling. The mission is Jesus big among all nations. And so nobody is outside the mission. You learn this in the membership class. We talk about missions. We talk about the Great Commission. We talk about our focus on a people group. We talk about engaging domains. We talk about domain engagement and all those glorious things. All of us are in the mission. And, and the calling gives you the power for the mission. Does that make sense? It is the calling that empowers the mission. As a son and daughter of God, we have Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, who He said in the mission, He has all authority in heaven and earth. And so because we are in the calling, we have the one who possesses all authority dwelling on the inside of us. Therefore, the calling empowers the mission so that all of us can be involved. This is why you can engage your domain is because you're not powerless. You are empowered with the resurrected Christ to be on his mission because you're in the calling. Is that making sense? Tracking? Good. The calling is to Jesus. And the mission is for all who follow Jesus, to follow King Jesus and every domain of society. That's our calling. Adopted as sons and daughters, 
having our eyes continually enlightened to know the hope that we are called to, and therefore His workmanship is one body under the headship of King Jesus, united people from all nations in one body, moving in one direction for the glory of King Jesus. It's our calling. But then, verse 2, how do we walk worthy of the calling? How do we walk worthy of the calling? Well, Paul begins to tell us how we walk worthy of this little word, with. With implies, like, I tell my kids, they spill stuff because they're, they're kids, right? And so they're always spilling stuff. And I say, and, and with boys, if I'm not specific, they'll use their shirt. Right? Wipe up that spill. If I don't say with implying there is a method and a means with which I want you to wipe it up, they will invent one. And again, it is often, and sometimes it's been underwear. So with implies that there is something with which you are to be doing what I just told you to do. Make sense? So walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with. In other words, here is how you walk worthy. Let's see what he says, verse 2. With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Wow. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How do we walk worthy of our calling? Number one, humility. This word humility means lowliness of mind. It means esteeming ourselves as small in as much as we make a correct estimate of ourselves. In other words, there's no room in the body for pride in what you are or who you are as being above anybody else. Make sense? So in order for us to keep the unity that Christ has put together in His death, burial, and resurrection and the breaking of the curse, the body has to walk humbly with one another. An example, give all the time. James, right? And John come. And they want to be at Jesus' right hand and left. They want to sit over the others. And Jesus says, not so in my kingdom. In my kingdom, the greater at the bottom. Right? In the kingdom, Humility. Humility. We esteem ourselves as small. A lack of humility will divide a fellowship. A lack of humility will divide a fellowship. There's nothing. If you walk with the Lord Jesus, He will humble you. A.W. Tozer said this, and I think this is I think you can prove this. I think this is biblical. And, and my ordaining pastor, Jamie Wirt, wrote this in the first journal I was ever given at my ordination. 1999. Fellowship Baptist Church, Rome, Georgia. He wrote this quote, and I'll never forget it because it has proven true. A.W. Tozer, God will not bless a man deeply till he has hurt a man deeply. There's nothing like the grace of God to wound you for your good. Joseph sent to Egypt to humbly rescue his family from famine later. Walking in pride means one has not properly been disciplined by the Lord and ready for service. 
Humility. Gentleness. Word gentle. Meek. But not in one's outward behavior only, nor in his relations to his fellow man, or even his mere natural disposition. Rather, it's an inwrought grace of the soul. And the expressions of it are primarily toward God. Sometimes we take this idea of gentleness and it means we can't be tough when we need to be tough. That's not what it means. The idea begins as a as an internal disposition toward God that will work its way out. But it's primarily this gentle walking with Christ. This is beautiful. Jesus said this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly. And you will find rest for your soul. Those who gently walk in the yoke of following Jesus Christ learn to be like Him. The image is an ox that is older being paired with a young ox. And the young ox learns to plow like the old ox because they're yoked together. Jesus takes that agricultural image and He says, Take my yoke on you and learn from me. Walk with me. How do we walk in our calling? We walk gently with Christ. And as we walk gently with Christ, we will walk in humility with Him and with each other. Walk with Jesus. Yoke up with Him and walk gently with Christ. We say up and out, right? Up and out, up and out, up and out. Walk with Him. The greatest thing you will do today is spend time with Christ. Somehow, some way, find time, be with Christ. Find time, be alone with Christ. Silence, solitude, Bible study, prayer. If you need to afflict yourself, do not eat, do not drink. Spend time with Jesus. Your greatest need today is hear Him. Nothing more important. And the presses of your culture will seek to press that out. There's a war being waged to keep you from Christ. Fight it. Fight it. Busyness will ruin a walk with the Lord Jesus. Fight it. Fight it. Walk with Him gently. Patience, long-suffering, self-restraint. Being long-suffering, restraining oneself before we proceed to action. It is so easy to walk in the sinful flesh of the fallen man and not be patient with one another, proceed to action rather than waiting and trusting the Lord to do work that I can't do. And so we think He's just behind and He needs a little help. So we kind of push the action. Patience. And let's just say this, by the way. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you have the capacity for all patience on the face of the planet. But you've been given the fruit of the Spirit. It's not an issue of you lacking patience. It's an issue of just treasuring yourself above Jesus. You have patience because you have Holy Spirit. Wait. Had a wise man tell me one time, it never hurts unless life is on the line to wait 24 hours and ask the Lord. Wait. How many times you're reading the Psalms, wait on the Lord. We just sang it. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Patience, wait on the Lord. 
bearing with one another in love. That is to hold up or to hold back, to endure. The word here for love is that word we talk about in Christian circles, agape, unconditional love. We bear with one another because we love one another. Have you noticed it's hard to bear with somebody you don't like? And then you justify eating them up with your words because you don't like them. And then, and here, and if you notice how we do it, we pre, we, we preface it by, I love them, but. Anytime you say, I love, and then you put the comma, but, that, that, that's not good, right? Not good. I'm good at that. Bearing with one another in love. That is, we hold back, we endure with because we love. We are radically committed to their good in Christ. Christ's glory in them before me. And then in verse 3, he says eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager, earnest, diligent. Maintain to keep an eye on, to guard. It's interesting here, the definite article is used before unity, spirit, and bond of peace. Definite article meaning the. Not an indefinite article like a. Like a unity. Let's just find some kind of unity and get together. Some kind of spirit. Whatever. And some kind of peace. No. The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says that we walk worthy by being eager to keep a guard on the unity. What's the unity? It's the unity that is only supplied by the Spirit. If there is unity, it's because Holy Spirit is keeping it together. It's because Holy Spirit speaks unity into existence by speaking to individuals walking with Him who are walking together in community. And as they walk with Christ, they walk in unity with each other because each other is walking with Jesus who is the one who brings unity. If there's if there is one seeking disunity, it's not because Jesus is bringing them to disunity. It's because they're not walking with Jesus. He says, be eager to guard the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The unity brought by the Spirit brings about the bond of peace. Interesting imagery here. The word bond is also used of tendon and ligament in that language. Meaning, just like a tendon and ligament holds stuff together. The Holy Spirit bringing unity in people holds things together. And Paul says, be eager. Eagerness looks like bearing with one another in love, patience, gentleness, and humility. Colossians 3, 12-14 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Wow. Forgive. Release. Let go. If there's a complaint against somebody, let it go. Hey, here's how, you know Jesus, you know how He ended? When He taught us how to pray? If you don't forgive, bad news, right? Forgiveness is the release and letting go. Just like in Christ, I have been released of the debt of my sin. 
I didn't pay for it. I didn't make it right. Can't make it right. Can't pay for it. Likewise, I release any debt I have against anyone else because that's what Christ did for me. Let it go. You know what that does? That preserves the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Love for one another in Christ binds all that together. Beware. Listen carefully. Tune in. Beware of those eager to divide. Beware of those eager to listen to the Spirit of the age rather than the Holy Spirit. Test the spirits. Remember we did this in 1 John. To see whether they are from the Lord. Just because it's spiritual or came to your mind doesn't mean the Holy Spirit put it there. See, test it to see if it's scriptural. If it brings unity with everybody walking together with Jesus. If it doesn't, it's not from the Lord. Spirits are teaching all the time. This is a spiritual environment, a spiritual world. Naturalism is dying its last death. And the crazy thing is, the place naturalism still has a hold are in universities. Naturalism is long dead. If you're still holding on to the vestiges of naturalism, that the natural world is all there is, please catch up to the rest of the world. Not because it's the spirit of the times, but because it's a biblical reality that the rest of the world has figured out. You know, naturalism kind of gave us this hopeless thing. There's nothing else, just a big dirt nap's kind of all over. Hmm, that doesn't explain the voices in my head. And then they go somewhere else. Buddhism, Hinduism, somewhere else. Why? Because this is a spiritual, magical place, in the words of C.S. Lewis. And so don't just listen to the voices. Don't just listen to the thoughts of your head. Test them. So beware of those listening to something other than what Holy Spirit is giving. Make sense? Beware of those eager to divide. Beware of those who are eager to listen to the Spirit of the age rather than the Holy Spirit. Beware of those eager to go to dissension and breaking bonds rather than building them. Right? If you leave in your wake destruction, not peace, you're in sin. Period. Holy Spirit doesn't destroy His church. He builds His church. Beware. Beware of those eager to whisper against others. Beware of whispering. It divides. Walking worthy looks like eagerness to guard the Spirit's work in unity and peace. Alright? Well, why? Why should we walk worthy in our calling? Well, he tells us why. Verse 4. Why? Because there's one body, one Spirit, just as you're called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Why walk worthy of our calling? Because there's one God and Father over one kingdom. Why strive for unity and peace? Because there's not two kingdoms. There's not two sides. Paul's going to highlight the urgent need to walk in unity in one body. And he's using the repetitious use of the word, what? One. What's the word? 
that he repeats more than anything else. One. He's going to highlight this urgent need to walk in unity in one body by using this word one to describe the realities of the visible body of the church that comes from the invisible reality of the Father. There's one universal body of Christ that is diverse because there's one God who is three in one. The church has the chief shepherd. The church has under shepherds and sheep because our creator is Father, Son, and Spirit. If I had a little board, I would draw that. I don't have a board. As a teacher, I like dry erase markers, but I don't have a dry erase marker. And I'm terrible with PowerPoint. So just... Father, Son, and Spirit. In the kingdom, He's given Jesus the chief shepherd, under shepherds, sheep. The oneness and diversity in the Godhead is the basis from which the local church is to be unified, yet made up of all nations. Paul's order in verse 4 to 6 works us into this truth. There's one body, Christ's body. There's one church. There's one Spirit that makes it a body, Holy Spirit. There's one hope that this body has, and it's the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. There's one Lord, Jesus. There's one faith. The Christian faith following Christ. There's one baptism, the work of the Spirit to place us in Christ's body. And there's one Father, the Heavenly Father. In other words, we are one in Christ because this is what God is building and doing. So therefore, our unity is built upon the unity of God Himself. Listen to this. To not walk worthy. In other words, to fail to be patient. To fail to be gentle. To fail to be kind. To fail... To, to fail to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is to deny that there's one Father, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one hope, one Spirit, and one body. To bring division is a denial of the faith. To not walk worthy is to attempt to divide what can't be divided. And that is a grievous sin. So Why? Because there's one God, one Father, one Christ, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one body. And we're to work for that oneness. Let me ask you this question. If Paul started his practical instruction in Ephesians by calling us to walking worthy in our calling, what do you think the temptation may be? To not walk worthy. Which would be what? To divide over petty, irrelevant, stupid things. And that is a grievous sin. All in the name of getting my way. What are some of the implications of the call to walk worthy before the Lord? Alright? A, B, C, D, E, 5. And I started using letters. I noticed I use numbers all the time. And on the blog, they go left justified. You don't know what's what. Thank you, Seth, for pointing that out. Yeah. So I started using letters so you could tell what point was what. So I don't number them. So I don't know how many there are. A, B, C, D, E. What are some implications? A, 
Well, the first one is our standard is Father, Son, and Spirit Himself. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself because we're going to see this in Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. So the first implication is we seek to imitate the triune God of the Bible. The implication is your job and mine is to imitate God. Imitate God. Be an imitator of God as a dearly beloved child. We'll hit that in a few weeks. So church, be imitators of Jesus Christ. Walk with Him. Imitate His gentleness, His lowliness, His humility, His fire when necessary. Jesus turned over tables. Don't misunderstand. There's a time to turn over tables. There's a time to walk lowly and humble. Follow Christ. Be imitators of God. Secondly, B, we dare not take up petty issues as our battering ram to break unity. Do not take up petty issues as a battering ram to break up unity, lest you be an instrument of the evil one. Third, we do this. Now, when you hear this with the right heart, we will firmly put away... And I chose my words carefully. And then I put in parentheses what I really wanted to say. And I don't think I took that out of the blog. I just realized that. You should have edited that. Oh, Lord. We firmly crush, shoot, kill. Hear that figuratively? Any lack of humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in peace. It is the job of the shepherd... To shoot the wolves. Wolves kill sheep. Jesus said, beware of the wolves. Shoot the wolf. Shoot the wolf. Listen, Paul found the unity of the church at Ephesus so vital. He started the practical instruction of walking in the mystery of the gospel with this call, this urgent call to stay one. Therefore, the temptation to break it apart, kill it, crush it. It's from the evil one. We don't play gently and play games with Satan. We don't give him a toy and give him a snack and ask him to stay. We shoot the wolves. Shoot the wolves. Crush. Smash. Anything that threatens humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in peace. Kick the tearing dog. If the dog wants to tear, kick it. We refuse to wallow with the swine. Do not cast your pearls before swine. Didn't he say that? Lest they turn to trample you. Shoot the wolf, kick the dog. Don't wallow with the swine. But with intense love and gentleness, shepherd the sheep. Jesus modeled that in His ministry. Did not, didn't He? Those sheep, He gently shepherded them and loved them. But man, when the wolves showed up, He turned over tables. Your pastors will be like that. They are like that. We love the sheep, but we will shoot the wolf. D, A, B, C, D. Four. I do have a master's degree, I promise. We, gent- we gently 
yet firmly deal with sin and rebellion so that sin and rebellion do not destroy the whole. I think, I think it's easy to think that sin, as long as it's just isolated to me, is okay. We read in Joshua 7 that Achan's sin affected the whole people. My sin is never isolated to me. Because rebellion messes with the spiritual environment and it affects everyone. And so we have to make sure we put a sword to sin. Because sin always makes two camps out of everyone every time. Does it not? You can think of any scenario and sin always makes two camps. And what have we learned in Ephesians so far? One body under one Christ, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Sin makes two camps. So we have to gently but yet firmly deal with our sin as as a body and as individuals. Church discipline is necessary for the salvation of the one and the protection of the whole. Finally, E, we gather in unity and we go away to diverse places because even our life routine, even our very life routine is to reflect our unity under Christ and our love for each other as a whole body. We gather in unity And we go away to diverse places to engage domains of society because even our life routine is to reflect our unity under Christ and our love for each other as a whole body. Does your routine of life reflect the triune God of the universe and His created purpose and function in the church? Isn't it so easy to just take my life routine and divorce it from anything theological? Anything Godward? We gather, we're one body, so we gather in one place. And then we go into the domains of society to scatter and make disciples. We reflect that unity under Christ and our love for each other because we come back together because we are one and we love each other. And we desperately want others to be brought into that family. And then finally, we worship the Father. We worship the Father. Psalm 147, 1, praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. A song of praise is fitting. Christ has made us one. And we fight to maintain that unity. And one of the ways we fight is we sing together. We sing together. Because Christians sing. The love of God creates doxology, the praise of God. And so we come together as one body to lift our voices in unison, distinct as they are. Some of them prettier than others. Mine and others. One of the others, not pretty. And we sing to the Lord. As one voice lifted to one Father, as one body, for the glory of the Father. And the Bible tells us that is pleasant and it is fitting. So Three Rivers Community Church, I invite you to come and worship the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We pray that today you would take your church and continue to build it. I thank you for this body. I thank you for these families. I thank you for this day where we get to have some of our little ones in the service with us. 
Father, I pray that you would achieve great things in the hearts of those little ones today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work regeneration, that you would cause the gospel to land, that there would be a moment that lodges in the memory, that you would use to save, to fix, and to produce fruit later. Father, I pray for all of us this morning gathered that you would make us one. That you would crush anything that would seek to divide. For the glory of Jesus, for the exaltation of Christ, and the salvation of the nations. And so we bring this before you for your glory and our joy.